It's hard to make sense of life apart from community. Join Unaffiliated, the search for God, to hear uncommon conversations for the common good. Unaffiliated is a weekly podcast where religious and non-religious Americans speak compassionately about the beliefs and experiences that shape their values and give them purpose. With your host and soul friend, Catherine Elliott, who writes, coaches, and promotes a collaborative, connective spiritual search at CatherineEcompany.com. Welcome to Unaffiliated, the search for meaning. I'm your host, Catherine Elliott, and today I'm speaking with Simone Ellen, a culturally Jewish, religiously unaffiliated writer, editor, and former psychotherapist. Recently, Simone published an article on HuffPost that a family member had sent to me, and the headline was, I tracked down the girls who bullied me as a kid. Here's what they had to say. But the interesting part, and the reason I invited Simone to come on the show, is that her investigation did not completely devolve into some kind of catty, vengeful confrontation. It actually brought her a new perspective about her former persecutors and a whole range of other classmates. It was pretty meaningful in a positive way for everyone involved. So on the show today, I'm going to ask Simone more about this project, about layering new experiences over the painful past— to construct a better future, and what resilience can look like over the course of a lifetime. Welcome to the show, Simone. Oh, thanks. I'm really glad to be here. So the headline that I just mentioned um, tracking down the girls who bullied you. Can you kind of give a, a general um, explanation of that, the project and, and that, uh, that work that you entered into? Sure. Um, so I didn't only talk to bullies. Um, what I decided to do was get in touch with as many of my women classmates from middle school and high school as I could and talk to them about the peer hierarchy in our middle and high schools, where they fit in, how they felt about that, whether they were bullied or, or also excluded. Uh, that was another part of this. Not, you know, it's, it, there's arguably, you know, being like excluded and iced out is a type of bullying, but it's not quite the same as, um, you know, being beat up or, you know, having someone call you names and kind of those kind of things. So I had, you know, kind of both of those happen during, mostly during middle school. Um, so I wanted to talk to those people, the women at least, who um, who did that to me, but I also wanted to hear from other people about their experiences, either being bullied, bullying others, being excluded, excluding others, um, and, you know, everybody in between. So I, I spoke to bullies. I spoke to um, girls who excluded me at one point. I spoke to acquaintances. I spoke to friends, a whole range of people. And the interviews are ongoing. So I'm still talking with people and learning more. What a fascinating project. Um, so let's start maybe with the the idea of reaching out to a bully, um, and as I understand it, you were thinking about a girl from your seventh grade class, and this is decades later, um, yeah. who had rejected you and cut off your mm -hmm. friendship. And it sounds like you started wondering, 
does she still remember this? Um, does she have any regrets about this? And then me- you messaged her. <laughs> right. Then what happened? So this particular person wasn't on Facebook, but I was able to find her because she was a psychotherapist and she was How funny. On How ironic. today. <laughs> well, one of the interesting things about is that several of the girls that were part of the clique that rejected me in seventh grade were therapists. And I've been wow. trying to figure out, and I was a former therapist, I was trying to figure out whether that had any significance. And so far I haven't learned much, but I am very curious about it. You know, I also spoke to people who were special educators, a lot of people in the helping professions who, you know, had not behaved so kindly as young girls. Um, But I learned a little bit about why that was. Yes. And I think there's a big desire to understand your own human experience. And so you might have to kind of venture into psychology to do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. so So you encountered her, you found her. And how did she respond to you? When I did speak to her, um, she was very open about, um, you know, what had happened when we were younger. She remembered a lot of it. She expressed regrets. Um, and, um, you know, she, she explained why she thought, because she was, you know, psychologically sophisticated being a therapist herself. She explained why she thought she had behaved the way she had. Hmm. Um, Okay. Okay. So I guess one of the things that she said that really was um, enlightening was um, that she was aware of my vulnerabilities and insecurities and um, my desire to be liked and to be part of the group. And um, it made her uncomfortable. It, It raised anxieties in her that um, and the way she put it was something like um, when you are that age and you see somebody who's insecure or vulnerable, you want to get as far away from that person as you can because um, it stirs up your own anxiety about your own um, popularity and um, social status and that kind of thing. Um, interestingly, this person had recently lost another best friend who had gone to be part of another clique. And I think that that may have been part of what um, caused her to decide she didn't want to be friends with me anymore, that maybe I was bringing down her social status. Wow. That is so um, brave to, to go back later and speak to someone who hurt you in that way, in a way that you could remember Mm -hmm. 40 years later. Um, Yeah. You know, I was talking to a sister of mine who has some young children, and she um, has a four-year-old who's in preschool now. And recently, my nephew went to his school and came home and said, you know, so-and-so doesn't want to play with me, and I don't know why. And then later on, he came home again, and he he tells my sister, I asked, I asked, you know, little whatever, Joey, why don't you want to play with me? And the boy actually told him um, his mm. little boy reasons, and that was that. But 
But my nephew was able to come home and report that to his mom. And I think she was really proud of him for having that conversation because um, that is the confidence to ask someone, like, why are you excluding me? I think that in and of itself is probably a mark of like a healthy child. I don't know. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I think it's great. And I think it's great if the mother was able to be supportive. Um, Right. my parents were very supportive, but I think that on some level, they catastrophized it along with me. Interesting. Um, huh. I think that some people, some parents might have just said, oh, you know, that happens to everyone. Just, you know, don't worry about it. You know, you'll be, you'll find other friends or you'll, you know, your friendship will, will, will pick up at another point or something like that. I think that my parents, um, my parents actually are both therapists as well. Um they really got into it with me talking, you know, letting me dwell on it, talking about it constantly. You know, they were really empathetic to the point where I think maybe I felt like this is really bad. Huh. So they didn't, so they didn't help you to sort of, um, well, well, what would have been the value of, I guess, minimizing it? Do you think, I mean, I don't want to say minimizing it, but putting it in maybe a more, um, Hey, you know, it happens. Sometimes people don't like you. You can move on. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure if my interpretation is even right, but this is something that I've thought about. Um, along with the fact that my parents, um, kind of idealized me and my sister. Um, and I, I feel like that was fine, but when we got out into the outside world and not everybody received us the same way, um, it might've been, you know, surprising or disappointing. Um, so that's another part of this, you know, I'm not sure whether minimizing it or, you know, just, you know, telling me that it was just, you know, something everyone experienced at times would have been what I needed. But I just, I just wonder whether they're, um, they, they maybe overdid it a little bit with, um, with commiserating with me and, and made me feel like, you know, this really was something, you know, really terrible that had happened to me. Yeah, yeah. And there is a real um, attunement, I think, between children and their parents um, to to mirror the way that they're, like a parent is reacting to something. Like if you drop yeah. your cereal bowl and then, you know, the parent is flipping out, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I, you know, there's a bit of a, a trauma to that. <laughs> Which happened in my high school, my, my household on a regular basis. <laughs> yes. The reactivity versus kind of, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know, like creating a, an emotional connection that teaches children kind of a more, um, like a, a regulation, I guess, or a coping, coping skills when, when something goes wrong. I think so. And, and the other part of this, I think is that and, you know, I love my parents. I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to bash them in any way. Oh, As no. a parent, I know how hard it is. But um, for various reasons, both of my parents were very insecure and massive underachievers. And um, I think that even though they idealized um, my sister and me, we sort of inhaled their insecurity. And so... I, I think that regardless of how much they loved us and how brilliant they thought we were, um, having parents who didn't feel good about themselves made us not feel good about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think that that made me a lot more vulnerable 
to bullies and, um, you know, problems with, you know, social stuff. Yeah, sure, sure. I want to return to talking about um, this exercise of contacting your classmates. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm curious, you know, as you look at the different categories of people that you spoke to, I guess there were bullies, there were people who were bullied. Were there people also who weren't bullied? Can you kind of map it out? Yeah, sure. Um, So, I spoke to a lot of girls who were like part of the popular cliques. So the, the girls that dumped me, the other group of popular girls in our, in our class who were kind of more of the cheerleader types. Um, I spoke to um, people that were bullied themselves, although not as many as I hope to still speak to, because I really think those experiences are important. And some of those girls were hard to find. Um, I suspect that they were bullied so badly that they just kind of wanted to get out of high school and, you know, not ever look back. So those girls weren't necessarily on Facebook or, um, and they weren't, um, you know, as interested in being interviewed. Um, but, you know, I did interview a couple of people, um, a few people who experienced bullying as well as some people who said that they just felt invisible at school, um, which was, you know, also really bad. Um, And then I spoke to some kids who said they had a wonderful childhood growing up in our school system. And then I should say mine wasn't all bad either. But, um, you know, a lot of the girls, women now, obviously, but a lot of them, um, the girls who are athletes seem to have a much better time of it. Yeah, I can imagine that. Well, they have, they have an achievement, um, to fall back on and they have a like a natural like something that gives their life a natural value I guess Mm -hmm. and especially I think in middle school that stuff is really important Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I I think that at least when I was in school I hope it's not still this way um, there wasn't a lot of sensitivity to um, helping kids who weren't good athletes you know by like okay, let's choose teams. And, you know, the, the bullied kids were always the ones who got chosen last. Um, and that, you know, it was very painful and humiliating. Yeah. Um, so the girls who were good athletes didn't have any of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it sounds like you did get some answers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're asking the question, like, why, why did you bully? Why did you exclude? Um, what were, what were, what was the array of answers that you received? Um, Well, in addition to the one that I shared earlier, um, I talked to one woman um, who was part of that seventh grade group that excluded me, who who talked about how how insecure she was herself and how at a certain point, you know, I think she said fourth grade, she experienced some bullying and kids not wanting to be friends with her. And as a result of that, you know, when she had friends, even though she wasn't that crazy about them from the sounds of it, um, she realized that the stakes were really high. Like if she didn't go along with these, these other girls who were excluding me, um, 
she would risk not having friends herself. And that was just too much for her to bear. So she went along with things that she didn't necessarily feel good about. Um, yeah, I spoke to another person who said something like that. And um, it was interesting because at first when I, I interviewed her by email, at, at first she, she was a teacher and she mentioned that one of the things she always tells both her own children and her students is the story of when they excluded, she was part of a group who excluded a girl from their clique and that she's never forgotten it. She's always felt badly about it. And I, you know, I kind of thought she was talking about me, but she didn't make that clear initially. So I I asked her, are you talking about me? And, and she was. And that really affected me because I would have thought she wouldn't even have remembered it. But to hear her say that's a story she still tells her students was um, very um, impactful for me. I bet. I bet. And and do you think it bothered her because um, like she didn't ultimately want to be an unkind person? Yes. Absolutely. And she also, a lot of them described how at that age, they were just so confused. Like they really didn't know what was going on and they really didn't know what to do. Um, so they just didn't do anything. Um, I think the whole social scene was so overwhelming to 12 year old girls. Um, and the risks were so big in terms of their social status that um, they just weren't, they were willing to be bystanders. And as adults, they really felt badly about that. Hmm. So what was helpful about having these conversations? Well, um, it was definitely helpful for me to get apologies from some of them. Um, it was, it was also really intellectually, I knew that you know, even the popular kids struggle sure, sure. and, you know, that I couldn't possibly know what was going on in their lives to motivate that behavior. But hearing it from their own mouths was really powerful. Um, and, you know, talking to some of the girls who I thought of as beautiful and brilliant and popular and happy um, and hearing how badly they felt about themselves and how anxious they were and how confused they were um, and how they didn't think they were pretty and they, they, you know, didn't think they were popular. It was just like sort of staggering to me um, because I guess in some ways, even, even though it seems obvious as an adult, when you're thinking about your earlier life, there's something very alive about it. And it's hard to, um, you kind of are still think about it in terms of as a 12 year old, you know? Yes. There's a real imprinting that happens during that time of life. Those, those emotional experiences stick with you in a particular way. Right. Um, so that was really, that was really intense. Um, another experience I had that was one of the most powerful ones, um, was, I reached out to this woman on Facebook who had really had really been a bully. Mm -hmm. um, she just used to taunt me all the time and I was afraid of her. And um, 
I, I, I wrote to her a couple of times on Facebook asking her to, um, to be interviewed. And finally she wrote back and she said, I, I really, you know, don't know if I can participate in your project because I wasn't very nice to you. And I'm sorry about that. Mm. Um, so I wrote back to her and I explained that I wasn't really singling her out. I was trying to talk to as many people as I could. And, um, and this was actually on Facebook Messenger. So all of a sudden, like shortly after I sent that email assuring her that I wasn't singling her out, my phone started to ring. And she called me on, on Messenger. And I answered the phone and it was just the weirdest sensation to be talking to this person. And um, she immediately started apologizing profusely and saying, I think about this all the time and I don't know why I did this to you and I'm really not a bad person and I brought up a nice son who doesn't bully people. And, um, and then she admitted that she'd been being sexually abused at home. Oh my gosh. And that... Um, she said, I'm not making any, I'm not making excuses. I was still wrong to bully you, but you know, I think that that had something to do with it. Um, and maybe I chose you cause you seemed shy and quiet and that kind of thing. Um, so the conversation ended up really being like me counseling her and, you know, helping her to apologize herself. Uh, and uh, I mean, forgive herself. Um, it was um, it was pretty mind blowing, really. Yeah, um, that encounter um, that kind of flips the tables, where you thought that you were kind of the only victim, and then seeing there are, there's more than one victim, and this situation is far more complex than you know, I could have realized at the time or that I realized looking back at it as an adult. Right. It didn't surprise me that she had, you know, a lot of trouble at home. Like I, I probably could have, um, could have guessed that. Um, but you know, it, it hadn't occurred to me that she was suffering that badly. Um, once I understood, once I heard that I, you know, I would, totally forgave her and I completely understood why she needed to victimize someone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It made her struggles seem a lot more serious than mine. Right. Yeah. Gave you perspective. I think for that woman to um, look back at her 12 year old self and realize, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, she, she probably said to you, I'm not a bad person, but inside she's thinking, I must be a bad person because Mm -hmm. I treated her that way. And so, you know, there's that cognitive dissonance going on. Oh, yeah, Um, absolutely. And um, the the idea that it still haunted her these years later, Hmm. I mean, it, it wasn't like she was even beating me up or anything like that. She was doing like silly little things that just made me very uncomfortable. Um. Like she would sit behind me in class and like keep saying my name. Like she reminded me of that. I didn't even remember specifically what she'd done. And it seems so absurd in retrospect right. that that bothered me so much and that she knew that it bothered me so much. Um, so I, you know, I was, I was really surprised that, that she remembered it and that she'd been carrying around with her all these years. And I, 
I really did feel like it was a relief for her to get it off her chest and to apologize. Yes. And and that's something I want to ask you about, because I do think that was a big source of meaning for both of you. Um, and it sounds like she had already been lamenting the wrongdoing or the, um, mm-hmm. you know, the activity. But like, what was different about doing that kind of in front of you? Or, you know, what was it about the encounter that the two of you had that was um, so much more meaningful than kind of dealing with it on your own, I guess? I mean, I I think it was really helpful for her to get my forgiveness. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess I felt like the power dynamic shifted kind of. Hmm. I, I felt like we were we were equals um, in some ways more than, than we were bullied and victim. Yeah. Equals in what, what senses? Like well, if you could, if you could name it. I mean, in some ways I also felt, you know, that I, I had more power because I was in a position of helping her at that point. Um, and I, I hate to make it, make it about power, but I think that when you're 12 and you're, you know, feeling victimized, there is a, a power differential. Um, so, well, and it's what, what do you, and the, you know, I think the difference here is what do you do with your power? Do you use your power to, um, put someone down or to enrich their yeah. life and their experience? And so in a way it, it's sort of an undoing of, or not an, it's not an undoing, but again, it's that layering of an experience of, um, using power the way that it's supposed to be used. Yeah. Yeah, I, I ended up feeling good about myself that I was able to c- comfort her. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think that she felt good about herself that she was finally able to apologize and forgive herself for what she had done. Um, so I suspect that it was freeing for her as well as for me. Yes. Greetings, guys. Real quick, as the show today gets going, I just wanted to say how important your active participation is for Unaffiliated to be successful. We want to make the kind of shows that you want to listen to. So please, please write a review on iTunes or leave us ideas and comments on social media. If you support this mission or just like one of our audiograms, share our stuff with a variety of friends so that the dream of increasing connection and improving spiritual inquiry spreads. Thanks. There was another experience that stands out that was like that as well. Um, one of one of the women I spoke to who was from the clique actually didn't remember excluding me, but she remembered excluding another member. And she had felt badly about that all through her adult life. And after we had our interview, she asked me if I thought she should reach out to the other person who she had excluded, who she hadn't spoken to in many years. Um, She thought that maybe reaching out to her would be too self-serving. And, um, you know, what what did I think she should do? And I said, well, you know, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, when I have gotten apologies from people, it has been, you know, a huge relief and very gratifying. So she did reach out to this other person and indeed the other person was very grateful 
Hmm. And it was very healing for both of them. And then I spoke to the other person who was excluded and she thanked me profusely for, you know, for what I was doing and for encouraging the other girl to woman to apologize to her all these years later. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like you didn't set out to do some big reconciliation project. So if you could, yeah, if you could explain like what drove you to want to interact with women who pushed you away at a really tender time, like what, what was, what was the initial, I guess, drive? I think that part of the, part of what's been wonderful about this experience is that, um, I ended up in such a different place than when I started, because when I started, I think that it was resentment that, that, um, spurred me on. Hmm. Um, in fact, early on when I decided to do this, I posted something on Facebook, um, trying to get people to talk to me. And I went about it retrospectively in a really dumb way. (laughs) I, I kind of made like made a joke about it. Here's your chance to, you know, um, I don't know, to get back at the mean girls or something like that. I'm not exactly those words. So some people really didn't want to talk to me after that. Um, and, and, and a few of the quote mean girls, um, still haven't talked to me about it. Um, and, um, so I think I started out like in an, in, from an angry stance. And then as, as I began to talk to these people, my anger dissipated a lot and, um, it became much more of a, you know, a fact-finding mission, uh, an exploration, and ultimately a reconciliation project. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the, um, you know, there's a a principle that I've heard that to know is to love. And so, like, you were gaining this knowledge of people, and as you gained it, it was like there, it made room for you to love them because you actually saw the, the real them, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, do I love all of them? Um, You know, there there are people that I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with now, but I don't feel particularly angry at them or really angry at them at all. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it, it's just, um, it's just taken those feelings and, and changed them into something much more positive, either nu- neutral in a few cases, but mostly positive. That's so good. That's so good. Do you think it's something that other people could repeat? Um, or do you think it was just unique to your situation as a journalist? After the Huffington Post article went viral, I got emails from people all over the world sharing their experiences and um, thanking me because they identified so heavily. Um, and there were a bunch of people who asked me, um, what, you know, what my process was because they wanted to repeat it. Wow. And, 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 um, so, you know, I told them, um, it's hard for me to say if, if this would work for everyone, it would be wonderful if it did. Well, what were the key elements of the process that you, you know, if you, (laughs) it sounds like you created a process. So what was that? Well, pretty simple process. I mean, I tried to locate as many of the women as I could. And then I reached out to them 
usually on, on social media or by email, if I had their email addresses and I explained to them what I was doing, that I was doing a project in which I, you know, was trying to find out about their experiences with bullying and peer exclusion in our middle and high school. And, um, I decided to do it, you know, start from the people that I knew and my own experiences and, and work out. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, so, um, then if they, if they wrote back and they said that they were willing to participate, I sent them over just about seven questions Okay. Um, to, to jar their memories. And then they had the option of answering me by email with the possibility of a follow-up phone call or Zoom call, or we just went right to a phone call and Zoom, or Zoom call. And then there were some people that I did follow up with, and I'm still in that process of doing some follow-up. And so the operating assumption in this process is there's there's more to the story than what I think, right? Oh yeah, I mean that I'm you know I'm certainly not the only person who had this this kind of experience. Um, and you know what was it what was it like for them? And what did they see happening around them? Where did they fit in? Um, had there, I, I asked them the question of you know looking back you know, would you have changed anything? Um, I asked them if they were parents, had this come up with their own children? And if so, how would they dealt with it? Yeah, those are big questions. As you look at the way that, you know, you, you did mention your mother and father and some of the um, maybe issues that kind of manifested in your upbringing. Um, mm-hmm. But as, as you look back, um, I think you mentioned to me before the show that your mother was a hidden child in the Holocaust. And That's right. so how did, you know, if you could get a read on how that affected your experience um, and, and maybe, I don't know if that is something that can be extended to, um, you know, more, more widely to generalize about like, how do our parents' experiences affect our ability to, um, be in the world. I'm curious to hear what, what you think. Well, I think, I think absolutely. And I, and a lot of work has been done about, um, second generation Holocaust survivors, which would be me. Um, Mm -hmm. my mother was very young, but, um, you know, I still consider myself a second generation Holocaust survivor. Mm. So a lot of her trauma, I think, um, is, was transmitted to me in different ways. So like, um, she can be um, kind of spacey at times, like dissociated. Um, And I think that I have that tendency to be kind of spacey at times. Um, Like I'll drive somewhere and I, you know, will get there and be like, God, I don't even remember driving here kind of thing. Like, um, or um, a lot of separation anxiety, Mm. Um, a lot of fears of abandonment. Yes. Um, I'm not sure... I, I always, from a very early age, was very, very focused on people and friendships. Yes. Um, like, at a, and I, I think that has something to do with my mother's experience of being separated from her parents at such a young age. Yeah, the parent-child bond is such an important factor in ch- children developing resilience. And um, yeah, yeah, it is. There are, are, are probably a lot of other ways, um, but that's just off the top of my head. Um, 
And I don't know, somehow there may have been other, besides the Holocaust experience, I think that my parent, my mother's experience with her parents made her feel like she wasn't good enough a lot of the time. And um, I think that that was definitely transmitted to me, made me feel like I wasn't good enough. My family wasn't good enough, things like that. Yeah. And those are painful feelings. And it's, um, it is hard to um, construct a new, (laughs) a new story for your life, I think. But it sounds like Mm -hmm. this project has been a bit of a way to um, like create an experience that like taught you something new about yourself maybe? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, And um, it's been very healing. I feel differently about myself now than I did before. And other people who know me well can see it. I feel also like I gathered from all of the letters that I got and all the posts on, you know, social media and stuff about the article that, um, it helps people and that makes me feel really, really good. Yes. Yes. To be able to just influence positively um, other other people who are hurting. Cause I think, you know, everybody's hurting in some way. And so when you're able to pinpoint it and hear it and then help to bring some closure or um, you know, a feeling that that chapter is over maybe that that's um that's wonderful to be able to to you know bring a sort of like an open it's like an open court case or something you know like it it hasn't come to a conclusion (laughs) you know that's right that's right and I mean getting back to you asking me if other people should do this I mean one of the things that's unsatisfying about this project is that I don't think it will work with kids while it's going on or before it's going on. They just don't seem able to to really communicate openly about this kind of thing when they're in it. Um, I know there's tons of projects trying to help people to do this kind of thing. Um, You know, from what I've read, most of them aren't that successful. Um, On the other hand, I'm 58 years old and I would hate to think that one has to wait that long to deal with this stuff. Right. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the age is. I would think maybe it would be possible like in your thirties. Um, just when people are far enough away from that time and, um, and, you know, have, you know, like built up careers and families and things that um, give them self-esteem and perspective on their pasts that maybe maybe they could try something like this at that point. Um, I don't know. I, I'd like to to see if, if in my, you know, study of this topic, I can find out more about, you know, when would be an optimal time to confront these kind of things. Yes, yes. I think that's, you know, there, there are stages of life where you, um, you look back and you're able to reflect in different, ways. Um, but, you know, I did a little bit of research before um, this show today about, you know, what are research-based ways to, um, to to give that gift of of resilience to children. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's not exactly um, 
a, a straight on attack at the problem. It's a little bit less linear and it has to do with things like um, creating like meaningful and supportive opportunities for children to adapt to change or have a sense of humor in the face of problems or, um, you know, look at their hardships with a positive lens um, or encourage them to kind of keep pursuing your goals, even when there are failures and obstacles. And, um, And even just to know that you can talk about um, hard, sad things, and we will process it. And then, you know, life will go on and you're still worthwhile. And, you know, I mean, there's all these, um, it's a lot of perspective building, but I do think it's something that any adult could do for a child, right? Like you can model having a sense of humor when something goes wrong, right? Yes. And I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the way my parents handled this situation. And I don't think that what they, the way they handled it and the way they handled a lot of things in my childhood helped me to be resilient. Right. And that, and you know, you look at it and you go, well, they went through the Holocaust. (laughs) Mom went through the Holocaust. Like I'm not, that's not, no judgment there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's true. That's true. But hundred percent, I think, you know, for, for listeners of the show today, it's like, yeah, there, there's stuff you can do. And it's very, um, it's very day to day. It's not, you don't have to be a psychotherapist to, to do that, mm-hmm. you know, which is positive. Yeah. Sometimes being a psychotherapist is a, <laughs> speaking as a child of psychotherapist, sometimes that works against. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Overthinking it. Well, do you have any kind of final takeaway thoughts or um, just, yeah. Anything you want to share before we, we uh, sign off? The only thing that comes to mind right now is that if, if people listening um, resonate with this and want to share their stories. I'm still collecting stories. Um, so they can, um, email me if they want, or, you know, you, you know, if you can get them in touch with me through the show. I am working on a book about this topic. Um, so that's part of why I'm collecting stories still. And, um, you know, hopefully if people are interested, they'll see that at some point in the future. Awesome. So to all of our listeners today, you can find Simone's writing at jmoreliving.com and keep an eye out for her forthcoming book on this topic. We'll put some information about how to get in touch with Simone in the show notes. So you can find that at unaffiliatedshow.com slash podcast. And uh, we'll be excited to, to put people in touch with you if they hear this. So yeah, thank you for bringing us on the journey. Thanks so much for listening to Unaffiliated, The Search for God. Don't forget to show us some love. Like and subscribe to our show on iTunes. We release a new episode every week to show how the search for spiritual meaning can take place together in dialogue. For more great insights and soul hacks, check out unaffiliatedshow.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Unaffiliated Podcast and join our online community. Just tap the groups tab on The Unaffiliated Podcast Facebook page. Catch you next time.